Welcome to the Safe Traces podcast. I'm Ulrika Hodges, the CEO of Safe Traces and today's host. Joining us this week, we have Melanie Nuss, the Senior Vice President of Corporate Development at GS1 US. GS1 US is an organization that develops and maintains global standards for business communication, most notably the barcode. It's also a collaborator to Safe Traces. Melanie leads a team that investigates new technologies, partnerships, and business opportunities to increase the relevance and reach of GS1 standards worldwide. Today, we'll talk about a persistent track and trace issues within the supply chain. In particular, we'll look at GS1's experience, leveraging emerging technologies that drive business processes, efficiencies, and innovation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Melanie. Thank you for having me, Ulrika. So happy to be here. Yep, it'll be a fun conversation, I hope. Tell us a little bit about your role at GS1 US over the last few years. Sure. My team uh, is a newly formed team. We're about four years old now. We call ourselves corporate development. It's just another word for innovation. But our job is to examine emerging technologies, those things that are going to come online for our core industries, like healthcare, grocery, apparel, general merchandise, and food service in the next decade, and how they intersect with standards to solve business problems, um, right? So we, we work with companies like Safe Traces and other technology companies to help our members who are historic supply chain, right, experts, people that have been working in supply chain for many years and trying to gain efficiencies, manage risk, and of course, grow revenue, um, really to help them look around the corner about technology that's coming online and how they can take advantage of that, maybe to solve some use cases that have yet to be solved or that we're still trying to do manually within our supply chains. Right. Can you give us a, a little bit of color behind how these GS1 standards came to be and how you really look to support traceability in the supply chain, especially since some of these issues we're dealing with are persistent and don't seem to see immediate resolution. You know, um, yes, that the, the, your last statement there, I guess, is pretty much life, right? So we, GS1 is most well known for the humble UPC barcode, um, also called an EAN in most countries outside of the United States. And in the 1970s, the grocery industry came together to determine how they could identify products to accelerate the checkout process. I, I remember, um, so I'm dating myself here, but I remember those days when there were little price stickers on everything and you went up to the, the cash register and somebody had to hand key all those prices. It was just very prone to error. It certainly didn't support the notion of price change, um, was probably terrible for inventory management. And so the industry actually relatively quickly centered on barcode technology as a way to right, tie the a scan at the checkout to a unique identifier so that you would know whether this was a bag of potato chips or um, a bottle of cough syrup. And then actually the standards just grew from there. Today, GS1 barcodes are scanned over 6 billion times a day all over the world. We also support standards at every level of the supply chain. So, right, it may have started at that consumer unit at the point of sale, but really moved into logistics units, assets, and, and I would say truckloads and other things. We like to tell 
kind of explain how GS1 standards work in three parts, identify, capture, and share. So if you think about unique identification as the baseline, um, that's the backbone of the system. We call those GS1 keys. So the global trade item number, which is the product identifier you see in a barcode or right, you can read the numbers at the bottom. Um, that's an example of identification, but we also identify entities like businesses, organizations, locations, assets, documents. Um, there are about 12 different GS1 keys that form the baseline of the system. And then capture is all about taking those identifiers and embedding them in machine readable technology. So the barcode where we started, we have a speed of standards around RFID. Uh, now our standards are used within 2D barcodes like a data matrix or a QR code. And, and of course our work with safe traces led us to um, emerge what we would call emerging data carriers. So the originally right data capture was limited to a few simple technologies and that has grown so much in the past decade. And so these things um, like DNA markers, nano dust and other novel encodable data carriers are ways that the GS1 system can be carried in mechanisms that never was before and can be read by machines to drive the third part of our standards, which is share. And share is all about ensuring that trading partners have the business value data that they need in order to make decisions, in order to drive positive outcomes. So really focused in that collaborative space, uh, GS1 is neutral and not-for-profit. So we, we work on, in those non-competitive areas where exchanging data is for the benefit of industry and really trying to drive automation in the supply chain. So in particular, I would think your um, industry groups are really driving technological acceleration in, in collaboration with you. And I would think that this year in particular with the COVID pandemic has put new pressures on advancing and accelerating some of these, these technological developments and, and put new demands on the way that, that your standards support particular industries. Can you speak a little bit to how things have changed this year? Yes, I would say they've changed for the better. So as a, um, as a standards aficionado, uh, right, the work is not glorious. It's usually when you, <laughs> you talk about GS1, people say GS who? And then when you explain you do global standards, oh, you know, it's just a snooze fest all around. And so when you have been talking about digital transformation, and I think Ulrika also to your point earlier about traceability, because we have not achieved, we haven't crossed the goal line here. Like this is a race we continue to run. GS1 has been at this race for well over a decade. And when you look at certain categories of product and say, we're not achieving 100% traceability, even though the right? We've been on a 10-year journey. We've seen what product recall does for sales, uh, right? We've seen what adverse events happen, voluntary withdrawals, expiration, all these things that we're just still trying to manage manually. What is it going to take? Like you're sitting there as a standards person, you know, with your head in your hand saying, what is it going to take for us to move this forward? And, you know, a pandemic is not a pleasant thing for any of us, but I would say in a lot of respects, what has happened this year, um, from the, the need for resilience, right? First of all, my supply chain has to be able to stand up to disruption. And you saw a lot of winners and losers over the past nine months. Um, one of the big retailers I was talking to said that their investments in digital in the two prior years are what allowed them to be so successful in 2020. I would also say that um, because of that need to be resilient and to be agile and 
more than ever meet the consumer where they are, what that opened the door to is the coping mechanisms of the past aren't going to hold. So we're putting band-aids on everything, right? We, we have one big um, consumer product company that sits on our board and our board member said, you know, we have all these challenges, the data doesn't flow and we don't have accurate inventory and yet the magic of trade happens. But we really saw at the beginning of the spring, the magic of trade halted in a lot of places. And so for us, um, really pushing forward the message around digital transformation, ensuring that the physical supply chain matches the digital as more consumers have gone online, they're doing right at least part of that purchase journey online. I think also regulation, um, the Drug yeah. Supply Chain Security Act, right, which is not new. I mean, that's been around for a long time. And um, now I understand why regulators make give us long windows for implementation because we're slow. Um, but also with, with what drug supply chain security sort of set the um, set the wheels in motion around a move towards serialization, around a move to write better machine readable data and around a move to a traceable supply chain. We're now also seeing that mirrored in the food supply chain and the Food Safety Modernization Act and um, the traceability rule that was introduced earlier this year. So I would say the pandemic has definitely been um, a good accelerator. It's moving us toward more autonomous systems. You know, people are asking for contactless. We we want safe and we want safe and we want options. Um, but I also think that the there so the, the, that regulation has also played a strong role in this space. And now these two things are coming together. And my my big message kind of going into 2021 is don't don't let off. Like you've had your foot on the gas pedal all year. And as things maybe settle in and people become more comfortable and vaccine becomes widely available we need to move to the next normal and not try to revert back to the old ways um, that weren't serving us well prior to this year. Yes, and certainly as, as we look to the uh, light at the end of the tunnel with COVID, we're also looking at how the pharmaceutical supply chain has evolved over this year. The, the added pressures to um, accelerate, to advance faster for regular regulators to approve faster, all of these things come together, but there is still the persistent identification issue that will remain so important. Why do you think that is, especially in the pharmaceutical industry, such a critical issue as they look to um, evolve beyond the COVID pandemic? Sure. I think one of the biggest challenges we have across industries today, and, and pharma is no exception, is that once you take the packaging off a product, you tend to lose the identity, mm -hmm. um, right? So if we're, if we're marking at the um, packaging level, that's great. We're starting to see that serialization now be implemented with batch and lot information. We're starting to see uh, expiration dates on packaging, but at the point that the, the physical, um, you know, the pill, the vial, the, the, or the medicine inside of it is taken out of it, uh, you lose that identity. And so this notion of identity actually being so integrated into the material of the product itself that it can't be separated from the product is going to be critical for a couple of things. I think one is the anti-counterfeit issue, right, or the counterfeit issue that we face in many supply chains and, and right, pharmaceutical just being our, our example here, that, um, 
you've got to find a way to bad actors always evolve and good actors need to find a way to stay a step ahead. And I think that persistent identity is going to support that. I think another way that persistent identity, um, certainly maybe more on the medical device side uh, than pharma is all around circularity and really being able once that product has lived its useful life to handle the reduce, reuse, recycle, the disposal and more automated ways. And I think that's gonna bring some new business models online too for, right, for companies that are gonna serve that end of life or, or renew of life um, element. But, but I think that granular identity at minimum, we would say batch lot, of course, serialized to each dose would be um, impressive. I, maybe some pharmaceutical manufacturers are, they're gonna have to, well, they gotta, they're gonna have to work with some technology partners to kind of get over that hill. But um, yeah, we, you, right, you want the identity to stay with the product, no matter what happens to the packaging. And I think that's becoming a greater awareness with industry members recently. Yeah, well, we're glad to hear that. That's what we usually refer to as closing the gap between product and packaging. So, which has also been, you know, as, as you referred to earlier in the genesis of GS1, uh, a problem in the food industry. Often we hear, we hear solving the last mile problem. Um, but what about the first mile? There are a couple of projects that we have worked on where we encountered that gap to be particularly prevalent or have severe consequences across the supply chain, the gap between harvest and the first processing facility or mill. Do you think there's an opportunity for the upstream supply chain to better identify raw materials and then share the data about them um, throughout the supply chain to, to other authorized um, partners that they work with? I definitely think this is the biggest opportunity. I remember working on a, a project um, probably in 2010, 2011. So I, I love that the technology has evolved because back then I'm not sure that we had kind of the notion of, you know, sensors and embedded identity. It, it was very far off just even a decade ago, but we were really working on, you know, finished goods and having a barcode back then, having a barcode was kind of, the ideal situation, we would say, right, we need to move beyond that now, even for finished goods, but that only told part of the story. And so I think that the first mile is the biggest opportunity for us to really get whole chain traceability. Consumers are increasingly demanding transparency. I think, you know, as manufacturers and distributors, you want assurances in the authenticity of the product. And so covert identifiers uh, that are, you know, the, you know how to read them up to your point around authorized trading partners. This is hugely valuable authentication. So we, this is how we kind of get around bad actors, how we help solve the anti-counterfeit problem. It's how we carry traceability through because I would say at the raw materials level, we, we really kind of take for granted, I think to your point around first mile, like getting from harvest to the first processing um, is important. But once you go through processing, there's a lot of transformation that's happening as raw materials are combined to form that final, that right, that final um, product. And, and the challenge that we have there is you lose the identity of all those things in transition. And so uh, covert markers and persistent markers where you can actually then trace back this raw material was combined with this to form this. We ended up with the finished good. Um, it's very exciting to me because I, now I, I guess I'll say on the other side of that, the challenge is that a lot of the first mile part parties, or I guess the producers 
of raw materials aren't as technologically savvy as some of those down the chain. And so this also, I think, is going to unveil new opportunities for partnership because we want to get this technology embedded at source. And it's been a discussion that I've had with several several folks a little bit further down the supply chain to say, how are we going to work together on the collaboration to get it at source? But the, having a secure supply chain, which was really uh, right where I think a lot of the regulators are coming from, I think it would bring confidence to patients and consumers. And I think then that elevates the trust with the manufacturers and distributing distributor network, um, these kind of embedded identifiers are, are critical for that. Well, I certainly couldn't, couldn't agree more, but um, I think we're sort of towards the end of, of our time here today, Melanie. Um, would you like to share anything else with our audience, understanding that you've given us great insight into how you guys work and, and what you're looking for in emerging technologies? Um, I just think the last thing I would say, Ulrika, is I appreciate the partnership with Safe Traces. I, I think the work that we're looking at, it's never easy to be a pioneer. And I think that um, the interesting thing here is if we if we wait for industry, which is what the historical approach to standards would be, right? Industry mm -hmm. achieves an adoption plateau and then they come to a standards org and say, you got to help us because right, we've hit 80% and we need to get to 100. Um, if, if standards orgs wait for industry to get to that, technology will just zoom right past them. It'll zoom past us as a standards organization and past our members. And so I think these, um, right, these proofs of concept, the pilots that we're doing, um, accelerating commercial adoption of advanced technology is so valuable. And I, I appreciate, I just appreciate working with you all. That's kind of, you know, I know my, uh, I, it's been, it's been a great journey for us and what we're learning about um, advanced data carriers uh, is immensely valuable. And so I'm looking forward to next year when we get to actually kind of share this with broader industry and GS1 US's members and start getting them to actually right, pilot this technology and, and work towards industry rollouts. Well, well sir, we were looking forward to, to next year as well. And then hopefully we can do another podcast and discuss some of the, the findings and, and share them with the audience. Yep. Thanks so much for today, Melanie. Thank you.